Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. Okay, here's what I talk about this morning, uh, and you can see it in your, your sermon notes there as well, but I want to talk about developing a posture of gratitude in a culture of self-exaltation. And so kind of as we're uh, progressing towards Thanksgiving, and there's just honestly in general, um, there, there's times where I'm working on a sermon, I'm working on a talk, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking about the text, and I'm kind of looking over the notes. I'm like, oh, this will, you know, this will be, this will be good. Like I'm, I'm typically thinking about people uh, in my mind uh, as I'm as I'm thinking about teaching. I'm like, okay, this person will will need to hear this. This person, uh, this will be good for them to hear. You, you know what I mean? Like I know people's stories, and so I'm thinking through their story as I'm looking over my notes. And to be honest with you, this sermon this morning, the text of scripture that we're looking at this morning uh, was, was just a text of scripture that I needed. You know, like I, I, I always need whatever it is that, that we're looking at, but there's just certain, um, there's certain talks or there's certain texts that just land in a place for me. And so even this week I was talking to Katie, my wife about this and was like, this was actually a sermon that that, that I really needed, that, that honestly was even hard to put in practice because how do you develop a posture of gratitude even in the midst of the season that we're in? And, and maybe some of you are already there, you're like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who's full of thankfulness, right? Maybe that's already you, right? So you, here's what I need to let you know about, uh, something about you. If you're a person that is full of gratitude and thankfulness, you annoy the rest of us, right? Because the rest of us struggle with that. Like, why are you so, you know, why is your heart so full of gratitude, even in really difficult seasons? And so I think this morning I want to look at, because the reality is, as people following the way of Jesus, God's called us to have a posture of gratitude. Imagine what it would be like to be a people in the city of Boston, in the middle of COVID, right, at the end of 2020, looking at 2021, which we're all ready for 2021 to be here, what would it like if we were a people who developed a solid posture of gratitude and thankfulness? And we had the ability to look around us and go, man, even, even though I see things falling apart in my relational life, um, at school, economically, medically, like even though I'm seeing all these things fall apart, I want to have a posture of gratitude and we can, as God's people, we can have to do this. So let's look at the text, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 18 and we're going to be looking at uh, King David. So King David was uh, for God's people, the Israelites was the king that they were always looking towards. And I would look at David's prayer as essentially a formula to develop a posture of gratitude. So let's look at it. Verse 18, uh, it says this, then David went in and sat in the Lord's presence and said, who am I, Lord God, and what is your house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far with a little, uh, was a little thing to you, Lord God, for you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind, love God. Verse 20, what more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great. Lord God, there is no one like you. There is no God beside you as we have all heard confirms. And who is like your people, Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform for them great and awesome acts. 
driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeemed for yourself from, e from Egypt. You established your people Israel to be your own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Verse 25. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you've made to your servant in his house. Do as you have promised so that your name will be exalted forever when it is said, the Lord of armies is God, uh, the Lord of armies is God over Israel. The house of your servant David will be established forever, uh, forever before you. Since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. Okay, let me pray, and then let's talk for a, a few, few minutes. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it's, um, that it's relevant, that it still speaks to us, that it still speaks to us, that it has something to say and to communicate, God. And so we ask your Holy Spirit to give us insight today. God, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so here's what we see in David's prayer, and we're gonna talk through this narrative a bit, but essentially what we see in David's prayer is a prayer of gratitude and thankfulness. And, and I wanna look at this prayer as a, uh, as a formula for how we as God's people now in 2020 can have a posture of gratitude. Now, there were two things that essentially, if you look at David's life, um, and, and this posture of gratitude really plays out in a, in a lot of areas of David's life as he's leading God's people. And if you look at his life, there's essentially two things that uh, had the potential to get in the way of David's posture of gratitude. Um, the first thing that had the potential to get in his way was his position. Now, who was King David? He was king over Israel. He was considered the greatest king over Israel. He had, if you know anything about his history, uh, he went from being a shepherd in Bethlehem, uh, essentially to the second king of Israel. Uh, he reigned somewhere between uh, 10, uh, 10 and uh, 970 uh, BC. Uh, he really led Israel to the pinnacle of power. Uh, he had success in military conquest, right? He saved Israel against um, uh, Goliath, this Philistine giant. He was a poet. He was a musician. Uh, just, uh, he most certainly had his flaws, but just, if you're just kind of looking at the scope of someone's life, King David was like, man, he was a warrior, but he could, he, he, like, he could also you know, sing to you, you know? Like if he was your man, he, like, he could beat up anybody that looked at you the wrong way and then write you a poem later that night. I mean, that's, that's, that's him. That's who we, you know what I mean? And so he, he was a man in a high position. And he was a man who was used to those hearing what he had to say and then responding and doing what it was that he asked them to do. Now, now think about that. If you're the king over Israel, I haven't personally known a lot of kings. You know, I've read books about them or, or I've watched The Crown, which I'm sure is very accurate, you know? Being someone in that high of a position doesn't, doesn't have a tendency to develop, to, to create a, a sense of thanksgivingness and gratitude in your heart. If anything, it has a tendency when you're elevated that high to, to develop a sense of, oh no, this is, this is mine. This is my right. I should have this. Now, here's what I, here's what I think we have to recognize about people that, that can keep us from a posture of gratitude. So if we, if we get too high, 
if, if we get too high in our life, and, and so maybe you're right at the pinnacle of your career, or you kind of landed where you want to be, you've got relational success, you just, everything seems to be uh, going well, um, we have a tendency to overestimate our ability when we're too high. Don't we? Like, I got it dialed in. I got this, man. I'm good. And then, and then if we're, we're too low on that, we're, we're prone to believe that there's nothing to be grateful for. I lost my job. My relationship's over. My grades stink. You know, I'm in COVID. I'm in isolation. So see, where we fall too high or too low, we have a, a tendency as a people for, for these things to work against having a posture of gratitude. Second thing that David had working against him was his or potential boundary against him was his, uh, his desired plans. So what was it that David was wanting to do? So if you look um, back at your notes, or you can look in the scripture if you have your Bible, uh, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1, this is the context that leads us up to this prayer of, of David. Verse 1, it says this, when the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. So I want you to think about that. So David is now, the monarch is, in, is, is resting. He's got rest from his enemies. And look what he says in verse two. Then the king said to the, uh, to the prophet uh, Nathan, look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. Now, they had built David a palace, they built him a house, and the Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know a lot about that, uh, maybe you've seen um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? This is Indiana Jones. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was essentially in the Old Testament where the presence of God would live among the people of God. And there was great reverence for the Ark of the Covenant. And so wherever they would move the Ark, the presence of God was to be uh, with them as a people. And so it was a very, very important thing. And so David is sitting around and he's going, man, I'm in this huge cedar house and the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, is, is in a tent. So what does he, what does it say? Look at verse three. It says, so Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind for the Lord is with you. For the Lord uh, is with you. Look at verse uh, four and five of 2 Samuel. But, so there's that conjunction. We always talk about this, right? It, it, depending on when you get the, the but, when you get that conjunction, it's either good or bad, right? You know, I've called you to live in my way, but you refuse to do it, right? That's not, you don't wanna be on the other side of that one, right? But it's, uh, your world is, is in shambles, but I will show up. That's a great side. That's on that con you wanna be on the other side of that conjunction, don't you? Well, listen to what it says here. He says, but, so that he has plans to build, but that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, verse five. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? Are you to build me a house to dwell in? Okay, so here's the situation. Everybody hang in right here. David had plans to build a temple for God. Great plans to build a temple. I mean, he, he, that, that was a, just a, you know, he had, said he had rest on all sides, so he's starting to, you know, dream. This was probably something, uh, if, you know, a little bit of conjecture here, but this is probably something that may have been in David's heart, right? And now he's had a little bit of space to think and kind of process, and he's like, I'm gonna build a, a temple for God. So he's not in this tent while I'm, I'm, I'm in this thing. 
And, and then what does the text tell us in 2 Samuel? It says what? That God did what? He said no. Now, what, what was God's reasoning for doing this? Because these are good plans. Well, in verse 5 and 7, there, there's essentially two things that we see happen in, in verse um, 5 through 10. The, the first thing that God says is it's not necessary. He, he says um, in verse 7, he says, Go to my servant David and said, This is what the Lord says. You build a house for me to dwell in verse 6. From the time I brought the Israels out of Egypt until today, I've not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around as a tent, as my dwelling. So, so basically, God just says, listen, I don't need you to build me a house. I'm good. I don't need it. And, and, then, uh, and then the second thing that he, he says, uh, that, that actually you won't find in this particular text, but this is in 1 Chronicles 22. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6 through 10, and I put this in your notes, David basically summons his son Samuel or Solomon, who comes behind him, and God had communicated to David that Solomon is going to be the one to build my temple, not you, not you. And then David tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 6 through 10, that essentially God tells David, you can't build the temple because of your sin. And so God says it's not necessary, and, and your sin will keep you from doing this particular thing. You've been a man of war, and so you're not going to be the one to build it. Okay, so let's set the scene for a second because I want to get to this prayer and spend a little bit of time here. So here's the scene. We have King David, who's experiencing rest from his enemies, who has in his heart to do something good for God, and God says no. God says, pump the brakes, stop. He says, you're not gonna, I'm not, I don't need it. It's not necessary. Your son's going to do it, and your sin will keep you from it. Now, how does, how does David respond? Because isn't this the question before us? And isn't that, isn't that our question? I, I've thought a lot about this. In the midst, especially in the midst of COVID and isolation and everything that's going on, in, in the midst of like, this is church right now, right? Look at a mask, like I can't shake your hand. You know what I mean? Like, I, like some of you have been coming since the beginning of COVID. I have no idea what your mouth looks like. A uh, clue. There's a lot of beautiful eyes out there and that's all I got to work with. And so I've asked myself that question a lot. Like, how do we respond? How, how do I respond? What is my response going to be? Am I going to respond in, in, in gratitude and in thankfulness? And how do I do that? Or am I just going to kind of like, you know, wallow in my sorrow and self-pity? And, you know, what is our response? So what is David's response? Let's look at it. There's, I've broken it up in three Three particular things here to, to use as a guide that I think you can use as a guide as you think about developing a posture of gratitude. First thing that David does is he recognizes his position before the Father. He recognizes his position before the Father. This is what we have to do. We have to recognize our position before the Father. Look uh, back at verse 18 of chapter 7. It says, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? You see that question there? This is the same question that, and this tends, we tend to see this, that, that Moses in Exodus chapter three, verse 11, God comes to Moses, another godly leader, and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to release my people. You've seen the Disney movie, right? He says, go to them. And do you know what Moses' response is when God comes to him? Moses says to God, listen to this, this is remarkable. Moses says to God, 
I've been waiting on this. I've been crafting my leadership skills for such a time as this. I am ready, God. Send me, for I am Moses. <laughs> Is that what Moses does? No. Moses goes, who am I that you would send me to Pharaoh? Who am I? And so there seems to be something about, it's almost like self-deprecation, is it not? Where leaders who God uses recognize their position before God to say, who am I that you would do this thing, that you would call me to this thing? Look, look what he, he continues on in verse 19. He says, what, you have done, what you've done so far is such a little thing to you. This wasn't hard for you. For you've also spoken about, and listen to what he calls himself. You've also spoken about your servant's house. He uses servant again in verse 20, where he says, you know your servant. And then again, in verse 21, he says, and you revealed all these things to your servant. That's a king, a monarch. He understands his position before the father. And so how do we develop a posture of gratitude? We, we look and go, man, I'm here, God. I'm limited in my resources, ability, and gift set. And you are there. You are there. What a wonderful thing that you have to be in relationship with me and call me and use me and use my gift set. So he recognized his position before the Father. Second thing that he did is uh, David saw himself as a steward, as a steward of God's mission. He saw himself as a steward of God's uh, mission or as a steward of God. Look in verse 22. He says, this is why you are great, Lord God. There's no one like you and there's no God beside you as we've all heard confirms. Verse 23. And who is like, now here it is, who is like your people Israel? God came to one, na uh, one nation on earth in order to redeem the people for himself and to make a name for himself. And to, perform, uh, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people that you redeemed for yourself. Verse 24, he says, you established your people Israel to be your own people forever. Now, this is what he does. Who is saying this prayer? David. Who does David lead? Israel. Who does David say Israel belongs to? God. Do you see that? So what David is praying to God is he's saying, God, you put me in a position to lead. This is his story, not our story. You put me in a position to lead Israel. They're your people. See, David just saw himself as a steward of what God had given him. How do we develop a posture of gratitude and thankfulness? We recognize ourselves as stewards of what God has given us. A master does what? A master determines how something's used, right? He determines the value of something, the, the worth of something. If you're, if you're the master, you, you determine the vision, the goal, where you're going. What does a steward do? If you're stewarding something, you're doing what? You're saying, hey, you've given me these things. And Jesus talks about this a lot. I wanna use my passions, my gift set, my calling, my vocation, my, my wealth, my resources, my time, my money, all of these things. And, and I'm just going to, I'm a steward. I'm a, I'm a steward of these things. I mean, Paul, Paul says this um, 
we see this in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 5, and 7. Um, Paul, Paul says this. Paul was an early church leader, an incredible man. He says there's some confusion and conflict going on in the early church, which is uh, reassuring for me as a pastor. And he says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 3, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And, and each has a role as the Lord has given them. They each have a role. And look what he, in verse 6, he says, I planted, uh, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now, what is, what is Paul doing there? He's saying, I planted, I shared the gospel. That was my role. Apollos came behind and, and watered. He discipled, right? He helped the church grow. He helped individuals grow. But what? God brought the growth. Do you view yourself, think about where you're at now, think about your circle of influence, think about your gift set, think about your resources. If you're someone who says you're living in the way of Jesus, do you view yourself as a master or as a steward? Because if you're a steward, what do you do? You hold things loosely. So I have, um, I have a wife and uh, I, have, I have two kids, one wife, which is important, uh, and two kids. And, and as hard it is for me to think about it in this way, what am I for them? I, I'm essentially just a steward, like God's given them to me, but I have to hold them loosely. I can't, if I organize my life around my kids and my wife, chaos can ensue. Because what, what if I lose them? What if my wife stops loving me? I mean, I know it's hard to believe, but it could be. See, when we're a steward, we just say, hey, God, I'm, I just want to just steward this well. Thank you that you've given that to me. And, 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 and I just want to do that. And so, so he's seeing himself as a steward of God's people, um, not as one who is in full control. And then third thing, third thing here that we see David do in verse 25 through 29 is David appeals to God's promises for his present and for his future. He appeals to the promises of God for his future and for his present place. In verse 25 and 29, he says this, Lord, now Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant in his house. He just says this, God, do what you promised. Do what you promised. Do it. And we see this over and over. We see this as a principle of scripture. We're just, we're just appealing to the promises of God. We're appealing to what he's already said he would do and is true. Th this is how we cultivate a posture of gratitude and thankfulness, especially in the midst of when it doesn't feel like we can. I mean, does, does anyone else with me just feel like, man, I, I, just, I don't feel like I have a lot to be gr grateful for right now. I don't, I don't feel like I have a lot to be thankful for right now. Like I'm, I'm kind of struggling in this. I mean, I'm finding pieces of that but it can be difficult. So what do we do? Well, we appeal to what God has already said is true. If we look at scripture here and they have it in your notes, I'll just run through these quickly. Second Peter 1, 3. There's a couple of things that God has promised to his people that I, you could write these down, memorize these, just put them kind of in your, your heart, in your place. I think it'll be helpful. Uh, this is what Peter says in second Peter 1, 3. It says, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and grace. See, God has given us, as God's people, scripture says God's given us all things for life and godliness. You have right now everything that you need for life and godliness. Even though I, may, I know that it probably doesn't feel that way. Everything you need for life 
in godliness. The second thing that he says in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, it says that the Holy Spirit will be uh, given to you as a guarantee for your inheritance. He says, in him, uh, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is a down payment for your inheritance. What else can we appeal to God? We can say to God, hey God, you've given me your Holy Spirit now, as, as someone who's a, as a guide. It's good, they're going to help me in life. It's going to give me clarity in difficult decisions. God, thank you for that. Thank you that I'm not alone. Even though I'm in my apartment by myself, I'm not alone. Right? And I'm in my dorm by myself. Through being in relationship with you, I'm not alone. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for that. That I don't have to be alone in, in isolation. Matthew 11, 28 and verse 30. I won't read it, but, but Jesus basically says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is from Jesus. He says, if you come to me, my yoke is easy. Take upon me my way and you'll have peace. You, you don't have to come up with, with, you don't have to find worth and value in relationships or in a job or in a, a, a certain financial stability, a, a bank account. Like you don't have, like take on the way of Jesus and you'll have rest. This is a promise to God's people. Like this is good news. It's great news. It's our promise. He says, take these things on. And then the final thing we see in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 11, um, this is what Paul says. It's a beautiful thing, uh, is that faith, he says, faith and belief produce salvation. So all of these things are rooted in this. Read, I'll read this, uh, 9 and 11 of Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 10, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, here it is, for the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Where do we, as God's people, in moments of confusion, in moments where everything feels cloudy, how do we draw out a posture of gratitude and thankfulness? We look at, we look at Romans 10 and we say, God, you have said, those who know you at the end of this life will not feel shame, will not be embarrassed. God, thank you that through Christ, I have new life. That everything else can be falling apart, but I have you. Listen, if, I, I think, and I'm, I'm done. I, I think as God's people, we have a unique opportunity right now in our conversations and relationships with others. We have a unique opportunity to develop a posture of gratitude that is attractional to the world around us. Don't we? Like this, in, in so many ways, in so many ways, I feel like this is our moment. As God's people, this is our moment. Because, because people, I don't know if you're having conversations with people, but their foundations are shook. They're shook. They are. And this is a moment as God's people to step into that and say, hey, you know what? Life's not going the way that I thought. 
I, you know, I'm feeling a ton of isolation like you are. You know, my portfolio is not looking as awesome. My job is not as stable as I thought. I can't even get a job right now, you know? But I have one. I have one, his name is Jesus, who gives me peace and rest and meaning and satisfaction and joy. And, and I, don't know if that, I don't know if that interests you, but if it interests you, I would love to talk to you about that. This is how we step into these moments. This is how we do it. So I don't, I don't know if you're here this morning, maybe you, you don't, you've not trusted Christ, you don't know him. Maybe, maybe this morning you need to step into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've been carrying the, the burden of your own kind of uh, looking for satisfaction and worth in, in areas that just aren't doing it for you. Maybe relationally it's not working out for you. Vocationally it's not working out for you, whatever. Just got to kind of confusion. Maybe you need to trust Christ this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've just kind of, honestly, you've been walking in cynicism. Like you're just not an enjoyable person to be around. And God's called you to be salt and light where you find yourself. Maybe you should repent of that and ask for